Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts, including youtube.com slash at mediapeoplepodcast. Views expressed by participants are personal. As a marketer, overseeing a national brand can be a demanding ask, but leading no fewer than six? That's a separate challenge altogether. And that's exactly what the day-to-day entails for today's guest, Cheryl Gresham. Cheryl is the Vice President Marketing CMO for Verizon Valley, a division of Verizon Communications serving value-conscious customers looking for the flexibility of prepaid wireless service. Born, raised, and educated in Seattle, Washington, Cheryl packed her bags after graduation, heading south to start her marketing career in Los Angeles. And what a career it has been. Prior to Verizon Value, Cheryl held senior roles at companies that include Initiative, Coca-Cola, Taco Bell, Mattel, Google, and TikTok. Cheryl Gresham stops by to chat about growing up in Seattle, her time in the agency world, working for some of the biggest global brands, and leading marketing for Verizon Value. Verizon Value is a new group within Verizon that is part of the Verizon's consumer group. And we are built to serve a really diverse needs of um, many different customers um, who are definitely focused on value, who are looking for flexibility in the prepaid part of the wireless space and uh, different uh, ways of connecting with Verizon as well through different distribution channels. So Verizon now has a, 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 a variety of different brands from visible to track phone to straight talk to total by Verizon. And so we brought all those brands together into this Verizon value portfolio to help focus on this important part of the category and these important consumers to make sure that we're connecting with them in the best and right ways. Cheryl, thank you so much for stopping by today. I'm looking very much forward to our chat. Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I am from Seattle, Washington, uh, born and raised, uh, lots of family, extended family and uh, generations uh, coming out of Seattle. And so you spent your entire life um, in Washington State, correct? Because you even went to university there. You know, I did. I, I, I born and raised there, went to University of Washington in Seattle And then uh, I decided to go and uh, look for some sunshine in Southern California. So I have lived in Southern California for some time and just actually made a pivot back to Seattle, Washington uh, recently. So uh, I've I've spent probably about half my life in Washington State and half my life in California. Did you have any hobbies growing up? Like what kept you busy? Oh, gosh. You know, what kept me busy? I really enjoyed playing soccer. I loved, um, I, I just, I loved it. I was, uh, it was a good outlet for me. I was very competitive, um, maybe sometimes a little aggressive. Uh, I, I, I was definitely called bossy probably when I was about <laughs> five years old. Um, but I loved, I loved playing soccer growing up as a kid. And, uh, you know, just all the kids stuff. I loved, I remember riding, riding bikes, um, playing with the neighbors, and uh, just, you know, and I loved music too, Lis- listening to music. I was not a good uh, musician by any means, but uh, really enjoyed uh, playing soccer most of my, uh, you know, elementary and into middle school. And then I, then I paused. Are you a soccer fan right now? Like if the Seattle Sounders are, are I guess, playing LAFC or the LA Galaxy, do you pick a side or do you abstain from that? You know, it's so funny. Um, I actually, we, we have this, this trouble in my household. I would say in that scenario, and I'm not going to make a lot of friends here, but I would probably root for LAFC. I've, I've been to more games probably. So I feel more connected um, with that team, but you know, things change over time and, and you can always have, you know, two teams you root for. Did you have any influences growing up? Like anyone you looked up to within your family, maybe pop culture? You know, I really looked up to, I was the oldest, um, oldest child. And so I looked up to, you know, just sort of, you know, some people who were just close, closer to me in age, but were older than me. So um, a cousin, uh, you know, a a cousin, I was really, I looked up to her quite a bit. Uh, One of our family friends looked up to, um, you know, in terms of a, a, a personal circle as a child. And I, you know, I just thought they were the coolest people. Uh, and in terms of goodness, pop culture, 
I mean, you know, everyone from Madonna. Oh my goodness. I'm really going back. Belinda Carlisle. She was, I, I believe she was in the Go-Go's and then she went out on her own and um, I thought she was pretty cool, but uh, definitely, you know, loved that whole phase and, and, you know, um, loved you too, the band. I mean, now I'm going down a music route, but those were probably, you know, the pop culture folks I looked up to. Uh, but really it was, it was, you know, um, family and friends really, but older, older, you know, older females in my family and friends circle was probably who I was looking at for, you know, advice, mentorship, just wanting to be like them when I grew up. What was your first job ever? Oh goodness. It was, it depends if babysitting counts. Cause I know a lot of times it doesn't. It um, definitely counts. Here. I can tell you a number of my past guests have all gotten their start in babysitting, but what was, I guess, let me put it this way to you. What was the first job you ever had where you had to pay taxes? You know, it's funny. I, I worked at an ice cream shop. So, and it was one of the most fun times and just perfect sort of time of life job. Uh, I worked at this ice cream shop uh, in an area called Edmonds outside of Seattle. And it was right next to a ferry boat and just a great, you know, summer job. And ended up getting uh, one of my best, best friends uh, a job there as well. And then we ended up getting some other friends, their jobs there. So it was one of those things where you were going to work every day, but you had a lot of friends around you. And just that, that um, you know, sort of, I, I would say it was a pretty ideal first job for a 16-year-old. What did you learn about yourself from that first job? Because depending on what the ice cream parlor was like, it <laughs> right. could, I mean, it could have been a very, it could have been a pressure cooker. Like sometimes oh, uh, those places, yes. places get very busy. So did you right. learn, did you learn about how well you perform under stress or how to deal with stress? Was that your first time really dealing with stress from a professional standpoint? You know, it's, it's, it's funny that you say this because I've never thought of it that way. But when you bring this up, I actually remember those days of like the line out the door and we had to hand make the waffle cones and, 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 you know, and then if somebody ordered a shake, it, it slowed everything down. And, and I, I remember the stress and pressure, but I also remember just sort of like, there was like a, a dial that turned on me that was like, okay, we've got to, you know, we got to move, let's go. And so um, I, I, I would say it was probably truthfully the, you know, first outside, um, you know, work experience where, there was, you know, pressure and, and, and juggling of different responsibilities and having to maintain, you know, a friendly face, uh, uh to the customers that we were serving. So, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but absolutely. I think that's something that probably helped tee me up for, for the future. Oh yeah. There's no stress in marketing. That's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially nowadays. Exactly. Exactly. Why did you decide to stay local and go to the University of Washington in Seattle? You know, it's 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 one of those fun things I think parents do. I, I've thought about that before, um, especially with seeing kids today. You know, and and you know, I, I applied for fifteen schools. I applied for one, uh, and you know, I remember um, my my doctor growing up was nearby the University of Washington, and so as a kid, I remember. Like when we'd go to the doctor, my parents would take me to the campus and they'd walk me around and they'd, they would say things like, see, you're going to go here someday. You might live here someday. Um, you know, knowing my dad even better now, I would call it probably he was brainwashing me. Uh, but it was just <laughs> sort of, you know, it was sort of just uh, uh, a known, you know, piece of my life that I would go to high school and then I would go to University of Washington. So. Um, like I said, I didn't, I, a backup school was like, no, this, this is where I will go. So, uh, it, it, you know, was something that I thought was great and it was great. And, you know, it is a, it's a great school, strong school. It was, you know, away from home yet close to home. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed my time there, but it, it, it is interesting as I, I look at others and, see, you know, certainly other people's journeys of how they go to, you know, school now after high school. Uh, I was laser focused on one school. And you studied, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was it mass communications there? Yes. Why that program? 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I've thought about this a lot, actually. I, my very first, I'd say introduction into marketing, I think I was a junior in high school and I took a class that I don't remember the name of, but um, I, I think this program still exists. It was called DECA, D-E-C-A. And, and it was an organization, uh, at least how it was taught at our school, um, that like taught kids about marketing and um, entrepreneurship. And I remember I loved the teacher and his name is Gary Olson. And uh, it was a great class. It was a hard class to get into for a high school class. They had limited spots. And so you were, you knew you were sort of lucky if you got into the class, but we started learning uh, about it then and there. And I remember the first time I ever heard anyone talk about like demographics and targeting and audiences and all of that. I just, I was, I, I really like zeroed in again on like, that was something that was really interesting to me. So I think it started there. And then, you know, I got to the University of Washington and, uh, you know, we did not have to declare a major coming in. It was something that you sort of got to sort out yourself and, uh, you know, took different classes and, uh, you know, leaned into communications. So I knew that, you know, you know, that was something I could do. It would give me some flexibility, some choice and, uh, you know, get me closer to where I wanted to be in marketing. So, uh, it was, you know, it, it, it lined up well. Um, but I really, I, I, have always, you know, I remember that day I can see myself sitting in the classroom when they started talking about this. And I just remember being like, this is fascinating. I just thought it was so interesting. So that's how it happened. Did you already know where you wanted to be? Cause I found when I was in university and I bet you and I pretty much were in university, give or take the same time. But I found that people, if they weren't going to continue into graduate education, what they wanted to do was work at a certain place. Like they weren't thinking I'm going to be the CMO. They're going to be like, this is my favorite company. And it feels like if I work there, regardless of what the position is, it won't feel like work. I did not. I, I, I think I took a little bit of a different path in all honesty. I, uh, when I was coming out of school, uh, the, the economy wasn't great. Uh, it was, it, it, it was a, you know, it was just one of those times, right. It used, it sort of like sets you on a path, which way you go. And when I was coming out of school, I had interviewed at a lot of different companies, but I wasn't still really sure what I was going to do. And I eventually decided, you know, that, uh, I wanted to move to Southern California. And, uh, so, you know, my very, very first job, uh, when I got there, was uh, a role at a brand company. That's where I ended up, but I did not, I did not, to answer your question more directly, I did not have a laser target on a specific company or companies I wanted to work at. I just knew what I wanted to do. Uh, and so it was a matter of finding the right place to do that at. And after graduation, you jumped right into the agency world and with a juggernaut too, under the IPG banner initiative. So how did you find that role coming yeah. out of university? Well, was, so, was this role in LA as well? What's interesting is when I transitioned down to LA, I actually, before initiative, had a job for two and a half months at this brand company. And it was privately owned. And it was a fascinating company. Um, pharmaceutical companies would hire us to develop, you know, consumer-facing names uh, for, for, for the drugs and, uh, the, the process that we went through the trademarks, all of that, it was really interesting. Um, I was only there two and a half months. It was a pretty crazy environment. I left quickly and, uh, I, that it was a privately owned company. And I will just say that the owner was, uh, he, he was known for, um, throwing things at the wall, um, cursing. And I just, one day I remember I had like no money. And, you know, didn't really know what I was going to do next. But I just remember thinking, I can't work in an environment like this. And I, I quit on the spot and walked out. So uh, I, it's anyway. So then you asked, how did I get to IPG? Uh, the good news was my uh, now husband, but boyfriend at the time, uh, worked in the advertising industry. And he had met with a bunch of clients one day. 
And I remember, you know, I was, I told him, I'm like, I don't know that this brand job I have is really a good place for me to be. This was before I quit. And he's like, you should check these people out. And um, he just honestly handed me a business card. So I, uh, after I I left the uh, brand company, I uh, looked into initiative and, you know, it's, it's, you know, oftentimes there's a lot of entry-level roles, right, at agencies. And I was definitely entry-level at the time. I applied. Um, I applied for an assistant media planner role. And it was pretty funny. Um, I remember I was sort of uh, starstruck because the uh, agency offices were on Sunset Boulevard and being near, um, you know, new to Los Angeles to, you know, go into an interview in a building on Sunset was just, you know, felt really, really like a fun and important thing. Um, And I remember they gave me a math test, which I thought was funny. Um, But I remember talking to the woman who eventually became my boss. She's like, math is a lot of the job and we need to make sure that we have people good at math. Um, So it's funny. I don't know if they still interview folks like that today for that role. But uh, I ended up getting the role and uh, that's how I got in. I want to take a quick step back. So when you landed in L.A., you had spent your entire life in Seattle and your very first job, which it's your (laughs) first impression of working in L.A., doesn't go very well. Was there a point where you were like, this place is crazy or you were questioning your life decisions? Were you thinking about packing your bag and going back to Seattle? Like, was there any sort of culture shock in and around that? I mean, goodness, yes. It's so, you know, it's so funny now, too, because it feels so long ago. But I remember the building um, was on the backside of Beverly Hills High School. And I remember, you know, being, you know, from not California, uh, you know, how so many of us grow up in the world watching television, film, et cetera. And, you know, so many of these places are just iconic and well-known and Anyway, I remember seeing Beverly Hills High School thinking that was so cool. And my building was on the backside of it. And I would say it, it didn't, though. It, it Culture shock a little bit, yes. But um, it didn't make me doubt the decision to be there. I just knew I, you know, I'd gotten into a, you know, a bad situation uh, that, you know, I corrected. And I, I actually, you know, I remember I was scared. I was so scared to quit, you know, at that time. Um, without having a job, without having, you know, income, you know, established, but I just knew, you know, it, 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 you know, it was not a good place to be. So, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't make me question though, my decision and, and honestly just made me probably more excited to join initiative and, you know, a, a strong, uh, you know, strong company, uh, with a history and, uh, great reputation and, really, you know, obviously great leaders and and great people that I met and, you know, still friends with today. After initiative, you went to Davis Ellen, but then you did a stint to Coca-Cola as a brand manager, but right. then you came back to both of those agencies. So take us through what that experience was like at Coca-Cola, actually go on client side. And then what did you going learn back. from that role going back? And <laughs> right. did, it make you, did it make you a stronger agency employee? Obviously it did because you went on to uh, more senior roles, but it's funny because I don't see a lot of people really, once they, once they go brand side, they tend not to come back to the agency world. It's like brand side yeah. is their exit strategy. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was still, you know, very early in my career. And I will tell you, I was really excited to go work for Coca-Cola and I just loved it. I still talk about it to this day. Uh, I learned so much and it's such a great, great company. Um, But what I also knew was, you know, I was, to be blunt, I was driven and I wanted to grow and I wanted to achieve. And uh, another person who was my manager at Coca-Cola, I remember, um, you know, after I'd been there a while, I went in her office and we were at Coca-Cola, mind you, in Los Angeles, which most people, you know, obviously think about Atlanta as Coca-Cola, but they had an office in LA um, where we all were. And I remember going into my manager's office after, you know, I'd been there a while and I'd had some success and I, I pitched her and I said, Hey, you know, I've done this, 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 and this, you know, here are all my accomplishments. Here are all the great things I've done. You know, here's what I want to do. You know, I, I thought I had a good assessment of myself and I, you know, I let her know that, you know, I wanted a promotion and how, you know, how do I get there? 
And what I so appreciate about what she said to me, but was, you know, a big reason of why I sort of pivoted. Um, it wasn't the only reason, but why I ended up pivoting partly was I remember she said to me, here's the deal. You know, she was, you know, complimentary, nice, you know, et cetera. But she said, there's no way for you to get a promotion. She's, she basically told me there's this many level X's in this office and this many level Y's. So unless one of those people out there quit and leave, or you're willing to move to Atlanta or wherever else, you know, Coca-Cola may want to put you, you're not getting promoted. And it was pretty sobering, but it was also the honesty, you know, that I appreciated of like, you know, it's, it's someone's career. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, obviously I did end up moving on, not just for that reason there, you know, but you know, the women that she was referencing that were in the higher level role that she had said, like, they'll have to leave for you to get promoted. Um, I think, and I'm still in touch with a couple of them. I think at least 10 years passed before they moved on. And, uh, it, it, you know, and it, it, it gave me the visibility and understanding that sometimes promotions don't just happen because you're really good at what you do, but this, you know, it introduced me this, to this idea of, you know, headcount and headcount at certain levels. And, you know, Coke was very much into succession planning, but, um, you know, it was sort of probably a, a, an early exposure to, you know, how big corporations work and plan and, 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 you know, resource their, their, um, teams. So, uh, that happened. And then what else happened was, uh, my manager from initiative, um, ended up calling me and, uh, she was new, um, at Davis Allen and, uh, she called me and wanted me to come and work on, uh, a different client there uh, in a more senior role and, you know, to have sort of some of that growth opportunity. And, you know, again, you know, who we work with and for is just so critical, um, it, it, you know, in terms of your success, uh, as well as your happiness, I think that it was an, you know, really great opportunity. It didn't happen immediately at the same time I heard about, you know, the resources, sort of assigned to the LA office for Coca-Cola, but it came, you know, after that discussion. So I think I was more clear eyed on, gosh, well, do I want to move to Atlanta? And, you know, I knew that, you know, at that time in my life, the decision was no. And so it, it sort of became like, okay, well, am I going to, you know, am I going to stay here for 10 or more years, you know, waiting for someone to move on? Or, uh, you know, am I going to sort of, you know, chart out and, and, and find a new path? And so all of that coming together, I think, you know, helped lead me to, uh, you know, what became my next uh, role. And you made the pivot back into client side or brand side. A lot of great companies here, but the first I just want to touch on very quickly Taco Bell and Mattel, two companies I would kill to work for. Not that I'm saying right. I don't enjoy my current job. Are you, okay, right. by the way, I'm going to ask you this question. Are you the person that invented the Dorito uh, taco? Because <laughs> if know, you I, are, there is a nice oh place goodness. in heaven for you. No, I did not. I, I I will say I think I'm pretty sure they, they, they claimed it. So I do know who did do it, and I, I and, and, and they're doing pretty well. Um, I'll say that. But um, <laughs> they are doing just fine. But um, no, I was lucky enough to be part of an incredible team that that launched that. And um, that was probably one of the highlights of, you know, my career professionally, but also personally um, really, really had um, great, great, great time working um, at Taco Bell. You also did stints at both Google and TikTok. Yes. One side of those businesses that I wanted to speak to or just ask you about was the political side of them, because Taco Bell and Mattel, they don't have to speak before Congress, but, right. but Google and TikTok, they have to go back and justify what they're doing. 
it seems like it happens a couple times a year. Sometimes it seems like Congress wants to get something done and other times maybe it's a little bit of showboating. So how did that impact how you led marketing for both of those organizations? Because you had to have one eye on what was going on in the political sphere while you were putting together plans to engage just the general populace. I mean, obviously it was very interesting, fascinating. And, you know, I do feel, I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't get any more crazy probably than, you know, the political climate around TikTok. Um, but I'll say, you know, at my time at YouTube and Google, uh, it, it was, you know, that definitely was happening and, and, and there was a lot of, you know, eyes and, and regulation and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I will tell you, uh, being an employee of Google, I made me a fan of Google even more. And what I mean by that is, you know, just their discipline in ensuring that they're doing the right thing. I really have a lot of respect for the company. Um, but in terms of how it, it uh, how it, it made me think from a marketing perspective, I mean, it, it's interesting. You know, we had work that we did uh, because we needed to show um, and, you know, tell the story of the value that YouTube brings to people's lives. And, you know, there, you know, was a lot going on and, you know, continues to go on in the space uh, around how, you know, some of these platforms are are not, you know, quote unquote, good for the world. But we had the opportunity to talk about what was happening on the platform that was good. And, you know, how do we reach people uh, to, you know, be able to tell those stories and, you know, help, uh, you know, legislators and decision makers uh, hear that story as well and see, you know, the positive things that uh, the company brings into the world. And so, you know, it, it it's it's interesting, you know, being um, part of a marketing team that is, uh, you know, accountable and responsible for doing that and helping. And, you know, you work cross-functionally, you work with a lot of different folks in the organization to help um, showcase the the good things about the platform. And, you know, and, and certainly TikTok, I'd say it's, it's probably in a, a different, I mean, certainly it was a different space because of the whole Trump ban and uh, being an employee of TikTok through that time that was a, a very different experience than being, a, you know, an employee at YouTube, uh, you know, when, when Sundar Pichai needs to go uh, testify in front of Congress, you know, having, you know, the president of the United States saying they're going to ban the platform, very, very different experiences and, you know, different ways of working and different um, needs of what, you know, marketing uh, needed to do. I, I hope that helps answer the question. So let's bring this full circle to your role here at Verizon. It didn't start with Verizon Value, though, did it? It started with another division of Verizon called Visible. So when looking for, you know, my next role post TikTok, uh, you know, I happened to get a call from Verizon and uh, there, it was, you know, a recruiter and someone had reached out to me about an opportunity uh, to come and work on this digitally focused, digitally led uh, wireless company. And I, I really thought and looked at it as that, you know, what I had been doing in recent years, focusing on millennials, uh, focusing on Gen Z, and even, you know, focusing on even younger, you know, when I was at Mattel, I think it had helped prepare me to, you know, think about how how does wireless look and how does wireless marketing look, uh, you know, 10 years from now in the future? And, you know, that was what was really compelling to me about coming into Visible was that Verizon was thinking about how they were going to, you know, interact and, and build for the future customers now. And so Visible was an opportunity to look at it differently. And, you know, with Visible, they're, uh, they're, it's all digital. So you sign up for the service online through an app and everything you do is online and through the app. There's no stores. There are no 1-800 numbers. Uh, service is done through chat, you know, if needed. And it, it, it was almost like more what I would call a subscription model where similar to Netflix, once you sign up for Visible, 
you just, you know, put all your information in and then you're debited once a month, just like Netflix. And, you know, you continue your service. And as a result of that, uh, we were able to, and, and, the, and the team that built Visible in the early days was able to establish this great product, bringing all the benefits in for, you know, this, this digital forward, uh, you know, very comfortable person in a digital space, uh, all the benefits they need, like, you know, talk and text are obviously table stakes, but unlimited data, you know, not worrying about if they're going to have a hot spot or not brought that all into the platform and then, you know, offered it at a really compelling price that, you know, didn't have, you know, additional taxes and fees. And, you know, you just know every month exactly to the penny what your bill is going to be. And uh, it doesn't vary. And so all of that to say, uh, I thought between, you know, my marketing experience with reaching young audiences, the digital experience that I was, you know, uh, lucky enough to gain from working at both TikTok and YouTube, uh, I think it, it it brought me together with a great company like Verizon Invisible to be able to figure out and say, okay, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to bring this to people um, who will value it in a really compelling way? And it's it's been an incredible experience. Um, and Visible's just been having some great growth and great success. How did the internal move to Verizon Value come about? Was it something that you saw that you pushed for? Or did you just get a phone call or an email one day from someone going, Cheryl, we have an assignment that we're, uh, we've got you in mind for. So it's interesting. So around the time I started with Visible, Verizon was making news and they had acquired a track phone. And, you know, for folks who may have heard of track phone, you know, they might think of one specific type of phone, but track phones actually was a company um, based down in Miami and uh, they have a bunch of different brands under uh, their, you know, company umbrella, straight talk, simple mobile, um, a company called total, which we've now rebranded total by Verizon uh, track phone, of course. Uh, Walmart Family Mobile. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so when Verizon acquired TrackPhone, that was right around the same time I was coming in to um, lead marketing for Visible. So, you know, um, everything sort of stayed status quo. I was aware of the TrackPhone acquisition. And, you know, what it did uh, for Verizon was really gave Verizon an opportunity to start, uh, you know, serving uh, a much broader audience and, um, you know, group of people that uh, Verizon, what we in the industry refer to as postpaid, uh, that Verizon postpaid was not uh, serving at the time. And so anyway, over time, uh, the company decided to bring all of these uh, brands together under the Verizon value portfolio so it, it's interesting, but just, you know, going back to a Coca-Cola or a Mattel, for example, you know, at Mattel, um, we had what we called boys, girls, and games. But, you know, if you had Barbie and Monster High and American Girl, those were all in one group. And, uh, you know, at Coca-Cola, we had, when I was there, and I'm, I'm sure both of these companies have changed how they categorize it now, but, you know, when I was there, we had we called them CSDs, uh, waters, teas. And so it, it, to bring this into Verizon and say, hey, we're going to have this category over here that we're going to call Verizon value. It, it was familiar to me in a way that, you know, I, I was like, oh, OK, I know I know how this works. I know how we're going to do this. And so, um, you know, even though it's a completely obviously very, very different uh, product and, and category overall, but uh, they brought it all together. And uh, started building a team around it. And so they uh, put uh, my boss, Angie Klein, uh, in the role of president and CEO of the group and uh, started building out, you know, a larger multi-brand group. So this role became available and uh, it was something I went out for. And, uh, you know, it was something that uh, I, you know, had a lot of discussions with leadership and other people and, you know, cross-functional partners with, but um, something that I definitely was really excited about 
because I thought it was just a really great opportunity for Verizon, like I've said, to bring more solutions to different customers in very different places. Uh, we, you know, have distribution in um, what we call indirect channels where, you know, it might be a privately owned, uh, you know, shop in the middle of Manhattan that someone sells a lot of different uh, products in. And then we have, you know, our owned stores like Total by Verizon. And then we partner with, you know, Walmart uh, specifically on Straight Talk, for example. And so, you know, depending on, you know, who you are, you know, one of those places may be the best place for you to go get your wireless service. And so I love about Verizon Value that it brings the Verizon network and makes it accessible to people, you know, to be blunt, no matter where they are and, and where they shop and what feels most comfortable and familiar to them. And, you know, in, in different ways of, of payment and um, service and everything. So it's, it's, it's been a great move and uh, really just, you know, exciting times for us to build all of this out. Okay, just looking at the number of different brands that you oversee, how do you manage all that? Like, do you have brand managers or brand VPs that yes. report directly into you? And, and is there a specific brand that might be your baby? Because we hear about this all the time. From, <laughs> you know, we hear about this from leaders who oversee right. a multitude of projects, but you find that there was one thing that was their baby. Like for Steve Jobs, I think it was, I actually think it was the iPhone. That was his baby oh. that he always stayed very close to, whereas yeah. other people like Sean Ives had more control over the iPod at the time or maybe the new MacBook Pro. Is that the same thing with yourself, too? Is like they're one brand that you're a little bit more closer to? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, I am a mom and I have more than one child, so I totally get this question. And what, what, here's what I'll say. I am, I am very familiar, obviously, with Visible, having worked there, you know, solely focused on Visible for a while. I'm still getting to know my, my new ones. And, you know, they, they, they are so different from one another, um, which is good, actually. And that's, you know, what we want to make sure that we're doing is, you know, serving different people with different needs, which with each of them. But, you know, obviously, longevity, I've had the most time on Visible, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting, just even personally, it's, it's personally fulfilling and interesting and satisfying to learn more about uh, who, you know, these other services um, satisfy and work for and, and, and like, again, how we make sure that we're connecting with consumers and, and, uh, you know, distributing it. And so, I wouldn't say I have a favorite baby, but I've definitely spent the most time with Visible. And, you know, we've we've definitely done a lot of things that make me smile. But uh, as we, you know, talk about Straight Talk, uh, Total by Verizon, we're doing some really great stuff there. Uh, we're opening local stores in, you know, people's neighborhoods. So you're going to see a lot more about that. And that's where I'm, you know, definitely spending a lot of time, time these days. Did Visible see an uptick in subscribers during the pandemic? And I asked that question because we're all in lockdown. We're discouraged from getting close to each other. Stores are closed as well. And it just seems like the Visible business model was, I guess, by chance built for the pandemic. Anyone that was phone shopping or looking for a new service or plan during that time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They they launched pre-pandemic. And, you know, uh, it's interesting. Someone posted the other day who was there at the very beginning, he said, I think in the first seven months, uh, the subscriptions did not equal like the past two days or something, uh, you know, and it just shows like the ramp, you know, of any new business, of course, but definitely growth during the pandemic and, and, and definitely growth, you know, now it's, it's, I would even say the, the category has evolved so much just even in the past couple of years, that, uh, you know, we, we are seeing a lot of growth there and, um, it's, it's exciting. And, um, I think people, you know, and, 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 you know, specific to visible, I think, you know, that's really was the plan of what type of, you know, uh, you know, wireless service was going to be there to be able to meet the needs of the future. And I think, you know, as we get closer and closer to that future, we're seeing that, 
you know, it's, it's definitely picking up steam and, uh, it's, it's exciting to watch and it's exciting to, you know, when I first told people I was leaving TikTok, which, you know, everybody wanted to talk to you about to going to visible that you were like, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. And so it's, it's, it's fun that, you know, people are starting to get more familiar with the brand, uh, you know, and, and once you were able to talk about it and, you know, share what it's all about, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's very convincing. So it's, it's really been, uh, fun to see, uh, you know, the success, you know, continue to, you know, try and keep it going. You know, that's, that's the job. You got to keep it going. Before we jump to rapid fire questions, I want to ask you one last question. So we know that the pandemic changed the way marketing was done, at least during the pandemic, but how has, how has marketing, how is marketing different now from the way it was pre pandemic? So have things changed as we've come out of the lockdown? Like, are you looking, looking back and going, okay, you know what? Everyone thought that once we got out of this, it'd come back to 2019, early 2020, but are there things that are ultimately different from the pre pandemic era? Oh gosh, you know, it's a good question. I think, you know, one of the things that stands out to me so much is, is connected TV, the growth and adoption rate of that. I was meeting with our, our media agency the other day, and I haven't heard this term before, but it was, they call it, I think they call it fast for connected TV. And it's oh, free um, ad supported television. Thank you. Yes. What I find so interesting, because, you know, if you think about it, when we went into the pandemic, you know, many of us had Netflix. Uh, we certainly were all adopting TikTok. And, you know, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, but, you know, everybody got a lot more comfortable with everything from QR codes. I mean, right. Remember, QR codes were like dead. And oh, now everyone God, knows how to use QR codes. I know they came right? roaring back. Like, like one of the things that I used to laugh about <laughs> with QR codes was companies would put it on their posters in the subway stations where there was no reception. And I'm just like, what am I supposed to do with this here? Oh, it's I like, love it. Yeah. Right. Right. And now everything's yeah. got a QR code. You can't go to a restaurant without the menu being a QR code. Exactly. It is. And, you know, and, 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 and people who maybe you wouldn't have expected because of their, you know, age or place in life, uh, to know how to use a QR code. They know how to use a QR code now. So th that's a funny one, but I will say, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people had Netflix, you know, people had Hulu, but I think what's interesting to me is the, the rise of the, uh, the connected TV and the, the free ad supported TV. Right. And, and that's something, you know, that I think is actually really great because, all of those subscriptions, you know, they add up. And, you know, if, if some of the big streamers like Netflix and others have their way of, you know, ticking off all the members who are sharing their passwords, uh, it's going to start, you know, costing people a lot more if they want to continue to use those services. And I think it's, it's great that there are opportunities for people who may not want to spend their money on uh, the subscriptions to be able to use those, those uh, free uh, platform. So I think, I think overall connected TV is one that I think has just grown and grown and grown and, you know, probably, uh, was catapult catapulted as a result of the pandemic. I I'd say probably that one. And I mean, you, I mean, you can't not say TikTok. I mean, TikTok just, you know, being there during that time, uh, was fascinating and, um, like a, being part of a juggernaut, but, uh, the, the adoption of TikTok and, I remember it was so fun when we first, when I first got there, uh, we were working with, you know, some partners and we were telling them that we wanted to target people who were 25 and up. That was our marketing was focused on 25 and up. And uh, I remember one of the leads at the agency said, he goes, I don't know that I've ever worked on a client before that is trying to age up. And it was, you know, just, just really funny. Cause if you go back in, in time and think about what TikTok might've been pre pandemic during pandemic and now post pandemic, you know, it, it, you know, you think about that one, it was, you know, it was little kids, you know, little kids and uh, dancing. And, you know, I remember, you know, when I was, you know, part of the team there and we, we talked about this idea of uh, you check Twitter or you check Instagram 
but just the vernacular people use or the language people use to describe it. You don't hear anyone say, I'm going to go check TikTok. They say, I'm going to go watch TikTok. And I think that, you know, along with YouTube and its evolution as well of uh, uh, people have a different, I don't know, way of thinking about these platforms now post pandemic than they did before uh, where, you know, um, you're streaming it on your, you know, living room television. So I, I'd say probably connected TV and then, uh, you know, what maybe in the past were considered, you know, quote unquote, social apps. Uh, but, you know, now they're in your living room on your big TV. Those two areas, I think, are have really changed quite significantly. Cheryl, are you ready for rapid fire questions? Yes. Okay. The campaign you are most proud of it's funny being a mom of two there's most proud of for different ways. So I would say I mentioned Doritos Locos Tacos in the past. It was wonderful. Great. Like if you could do a case study and, you know, MBA school about how to, you know, do great marketing and, and, you know, just have all the levers firing and all the teams and operations and everything successful and working well, I would say uh, Doritos Locos Tacos. But, you know, on a smaller level, more recently, I'll tell you, you know, it's it's probably uh, something we call it, call it Blue World at Visible, but uh, there was some work that was done and I'll be, I'll be candid, it was just one video. The, the story behind why I'm proud of it is that it was something no one thought could be done. And I remember, you know, hearing all these reasons why we couldn't create something um, that we, you know, needed to create from a responsive stance uh, quickly. And I, I think, you know, through that uh, video that we created and we ran it on, you know, digital platforms and linear platforms, um, it, it did two things that helped turn around the business. But it also, uh, I think, helped turn around the marketing team and our agency's perspectives on, on what could be done and what we were capable of. And so it might sound corny, but I, I, I love that one from like the, the, the way it made the people who worked on it, the way it made them feel about their own capabilities. Your favorite movie? I love um, it's an old one. Um, it's called Lost in Translation. Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson. Um, probably early 2000s. He's in Tokyo, if you remember or saw oh, that one. If you oh, haven't. I, no, I do remember this film. Yeah, yeah, No, that yeah, was. I just, didn't he get nominated for an Oscar for that? I, I think, think he, he did. did. Yeah. I just loved it. I don't know what it was, but it just, I just think it's, I mean, there's so many good movies. I love movies, but Titanic, right? Like. Pretty in Pink. I mean, all I, so many. E.T. Oh gosh, what's the other one? The Russell Crowe one. Gladiator, right? All I mean, so many. I, I I do love movies, but Lost in Translation is one that I definitely just. It, it's the type of movie that you think about. You know, it, it it keeps you thinking. If Hollywood were to make a movie based on your life story, who would you want to play you? Oh goodness, I would say. You know, I, I I identify with, I think her name is Julie Bowen. She was the mom on Modern Family, um, if you are familiar with that TV series. I'm familiar but, with the show. I didn't watch it uh, as intently. Yeah. Like, I mean, Ed O'Neill's the one that sticks right. out for me and Sofia Vergara. Yes, yes. She was the blonde on the show, and um, she's a twin mom. I'm also a twin mom, and I just thought her character was hilarious, so... She, she might be someone fun to play me. My follow-up, if Hollywood were to make that movie based on your life story, what would you call it? You know, I don't know if I can borrow a name. I'm, I'm just thinking of other names of movies or books or something I know, but, you it's know. It's your movie. I, you can call it whatever you I, want. I, I think about, I just think about the difference of my life and, you know, my, my journey, you know, so far, my journey so far. Uh, between living, you know, in, in a place like Seattle and, and, and living in a place like Southern California. So, you know, maybe a tale of two cities. Your favorite book? 
you know what? It's so bad. I do audiobooks. So if that counts, it, de- um, it definitely counts. Come on, we're on a podcast here. I, I know, right? I was going to say, I do audiobooks and podcasts um, all the time, even when I'm like in my house. I feel like I need to give you something really deep. I'll tell you the past two that I have listened to. One was Andy Cohen's latest book on fatherhood. And uh, I also recently have listened to um, the Prince Harry book. So those are probably my two recent. I don't know that they're my favorite, but those are my two recent that I've listened to. Your favorite song? You know what? It's you two. And it is City of Blinding Lights. The best advice you have ever received? Professionally, I would say best advice I received was from uh, a prior, you know, CMO who I worked for. And uh, it really resonated with me as I was growing up, you know, in the business. And I remember I went into a new role and she asked me how I was doing. And, you know, I sort of opened up and said, oh, you know you're supposed to know everything. And I just don't know everything. And I remember she laughed and said to me, you don't have to know everything. And it was, it it sounds so simple, but I thought it, I I, I just, to this day, I, I remind myself of that from time to time. And she shared, obviously, you know, we, we need to find solutions. You know, we need to be curious. We need to ask questions, but just because you're in the role you are doesn't mean that you're the smartest person in the room on the topic and encouraged continuing to learn, continuing to challenge, and you don't have to know everything. So I I like that piece of advice. My signature closing question, if you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing and why? I probably would have gone to Washington, D.C. and uh, worked in politics. And uh, I always had this idea of doing speech writing. I loved in college, uh, you know, uh, that space and, and the writing and uh, persuasive writing, you know, connects to marketing also. But I think about that, about speech writing and, you know, how, uh, how we influence others, um, you know, from a political standpoint through um, words. So I think that that younger version of myself probably thinks about that now. But if I wasn't working, um, I'm thinking a lot about Hawaii these days and being on a beach in Hawaii. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, summer vacations coming up. So that's where that's where my headspace is at this moment. Cheryl, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you so much as well. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca your favorite podcast platform or youtube.com slash at media people podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.